Welcome to episode 230 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. Six months ago, Energy Media published part two of its unethical oil investigative series about Alberta conventional oil and gas production. What we found was that at least 170,000, we'll call them de facto orphan wells, uh, that will cost tens of billions of dollars to reclaim. Some of these wells were abandoned decades ago. A question that few have addressed so far is how to fix the problem. Two Alberta-based companies, Wireline Abandonment and Completion Corp. and Versaline Services, think they have at least part of the answer. I'm going to talk to Peter Knight, who's the president of Waycorp, and Alden Selstrom, president of Versaline Service, about technology they've developed to significantly lower the cost of reclaiming these problem wells. So welcome to the interview, Peter and Aldi. Good morning. Thank uh, thanks for the opportunity. I'm going to direct the first question to Peter. Um, this is a this is a big problem. So what we found there are uh, in 2020 there were 97,000 suspended and inactive wells. So those are basically wells that have been plugged and sealed and and nothing else has been done to them. Then there were another 92,000 uh, wells that were plugged and sealed and some some decommissioning work had been done, but the site hadn't been reclaimed. So still there needs, needs to be work. That's not where your technology comes in. Uh, you'd be more in the suspended and inactive wells. And then there's a flood of wells about to come on, uh, about 95,000, that are marginal producers, they're under 10 uh, barrels uh, BOE a day. And eventually in the near future, they're gonna find their way into uh, one of those categories most likely. And does that, because you guys work in the Alberta oil patch, Peter, are you seeing this every day? Is like, is this a topic of conversation uh, amongst you and your peers? It's definitely become, um... A more common topic uh, throughout the years. There's a lot more focus on getting rid of these wells. And what, um, when you say that, are, are you talking about you're talking about the oil and gas, the producers themselves? Because uh, you guys are on the service side of the of the business. Um, mm -hmm. So what are the what are the producers saying versus the you know the folks who are working in the service side? Uh, producers are focusing more on the commitments that uh, the Alberta government's put out this year um, on the uh, asset retirement obligation, and they're focusing on cost and and time to get these uh, um, complete. Yeah, we should for for listeners who aren't familiar, um, Alberta, the Alberta government and the regulator, the Alberta Energy Regulator re regulator now since 2013. Um, they've been struggling with this issue of what to do. Where do you take security uh, on for reclamation of a of a well, a gas well, or a, an oil well? And if you don't take it at the beginning, when do you take it? And they've never resolved this issue. In 2020, the provincial, the Alberta government brought in a new uh, framework for liability management. And last year, in 2022. Um, they brought in mandatory spending. So in the first year, it was $600 million. This year it was uh, $700 million. Next year was supposed to be $770 million. I think they've trimmed that back a bit. But anyway, now companies have to spend. And this has been a big improvement uh, on what there was before. It's the first time it's it's ever been done. 
And so that's that's got to be. How was that received, uh, Aldine, in the in the industry in the oil patch? I think the industry as a whole recognizes that that there's a problem there, and and uh, when the government helps enforce some accountability um, into the system, that's never a bad thing. So uh, of course everybody likes to try and hold on to as much cash as they can, but but rules are rules, and the problem only get worse if we don't uh, you know work together to do something about it. Yeah, I think that's my observation from doing. I when I was doing part two of our series i interviewed about 50 people and lots of them plenty of them worked in the uh in the uh oil patch in some kind of an operational uh, uh position and and really the only solution to this is the regulator has the government has to tell the regulator to direct industry and then the regulator has to direct industry and then enforce it and and that that will be the solution Okay, that's on the regulatory side, on the policy side. Now let's talk about on the operational side. So, Peter, you guys have developed this kWatt technology. Can you describe um, the technology and the problem it's meant to fix? Yeah. Um, so this technology focuses around Directive 11. Um, if you go into there, you'll look at a single zone well where they say it's about $30,000 to about in that well. That's saying that there's no gas migration problems or or anything there. Uh, if you go into any well that has multiple formations, you almost triple that value. Um, they are rewriting that directive right now to have current pricing in it because it's extremely uh, undervalued. Um, so what the tool does is for the more complicated, uh, the difficult wells uh, where you have to set barriers um, below open perforations, uh, we were able to run that on wireline and wireline is 600% faster than running on jointed pipe. So the solution um, based on that model is if I can, if I have a triple zone, well, that's 1900 meters, that would normally take me three days. We can do that job uh, with wireline in one day. Okay. Let's uh, acknowledging that we have uh plenty of listeners to this podcast who don't have the kind of uh, background uh, to understand a lot of what you said. Uh, yeah. Let's start with some basics. So when a well gets abandoned, uh, there it might be a gas well or, or an oil well, and it might have a number of production zones. So can you explain those production zones? Yeah, so they're individual producing formations uh, protected by a cap rock and they need to be isolated from each other. Um, if they're not isolated, then over time, they, they call it a, a commingle. Um, that zone can affect the one below it or the one above, and then it can ultimately affect groundwater and contamination. So by isolating and properly pressure testing that barrier, uh, we can confidently uh, decommission that zone. Right. And what you're talking about is, if I understand, if I remember correctly, it's been, it's been a long time since I, I, I uh, had these conversations out in the field, uh, but you're talking about uh, in, is it's in the casing, right? It's not in the tubing. It's in the casing where you, you put the, and I forget the, the, the tool that you use to, to isolate the, the one zone from the other. So maybe you could just explain that. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Uh, it's in the casing. Uh, the tubing will be pulled out. Um, the well will be, in most cases, they'll run a scraper to clean the casing wall. 
or they'll bullhead fluid, uh, which just means pumping it into the zone. Um, the tool that you're talking about that they run on tubing um, is called a packer. And yes, that's right. It's an isolation seal. Um, so they will run that down on pipe. They'll set that seal and then they'll pump from surface um, down to that plug. Um, doing it that way, it works, but there's a lot of fail points. Uh, you can have a failure in each joint of tubing that you don't know if it's leaking off. You can have leaks in your wellhead seal. Uh, you can have improper amounts of fluid pumped, uh, not enough fluid, and you can have gas in your fluid, um, which will affect the, the test data. This technology that we've done, um, we test right at the target. So we're really only testing a small volume, like nine liters of fluid. And we can see um, very high resolution of the test. And the big advantage with our test is it's actually digitally recorded and submitted to the client uh, that they can submit to the AER. The AER does not require a digital test record. It just has to be noted in the job notes for that day. Um, that opens up a whole can of worms, um, whether or not these tests were performed, if they were performed and they leaked, or if they were a good test. Um, ours, we can show every time we run it that it is a good test. Yeah, that's a, I, I'm going to ask you in a minute uh, just to uh, explain some of that, again, for the, the folks who, who aren't expert in this area or haven't got any experience. But one of the things we found in, in our investigation, I, mean, I had the opportunity to interview uh, people who have worked in the AER in this very, in this area that you're talking about. Uh, and the AER's uh, approach to data is... How can I be kind? Antiquated. It's not very good. And they they don't uh, do a good job. I was talking to a reclamation engineer the other day about some of these issues. And she was saying that, you know, they can't even get an AER inspector or somebody in the in the regulator to talk to, to you know, the client and the and the reclamation consultant can't find anybody in the AER who will talk to them and approve plans. And and so it's getting it. You know, you mentioned some of the problems could could leak. It, you know, was the test actually done? I, does this technology that you've developed overcome some of those maybe operational issues out in the field with the regulator and with to make ensure that you get a better job done? I guess is what I'm asking. It, it will, um, but they're going to have to change their uh, directive language that they need a digital test um, that it needs to be submitted and and proof of that. Gotcha. And so explain a little more uh, non-expert friend, friendly language. What exactly are we talking about when you do that test? So we're, um, when we do that test, we're, we're setting our own Packer seal. And then we have a, a pressure transducer that's, that's built into the tool. And that data is being kicked back to us on surface and we're recording it um, as we're energized against that, that barrier to test it. Oh, I see. Okay. Gotcha. That's uh, uh, not that I'm an expert on Packers, but this is one of the things that 
uh, I've run across in interviewing other experts is this idea that more sensor equals more data, which equals better jobs, <laughs> better operation of the will uh, of the well. Is that fair enough to say? Yeah, our sample rates over twenty five samples uh, per second. And and so you can continuously monitor that that data both maybe at the wellhead or it can be sent back to head office or wherever it needs to go. So an engineer or a tech can keep an eye on it and note any problems, right? Yes, um, it, it's not forever, the test. Um, it's just when we're doing the, the pressure test operation. So the directive calls that you have a stabilized pressure test for 10 minutes um, at seven MPA or 1000 PSI higher than um than your hydrostatic pressure okay the takeaway for the non-technical folks is they've got a once they've got that packer down there and they've isolated uh the 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 zone you've got to pressure test it to make sure everything doesn't leak and it's it's tight and ready to be abandoned so aldine uh, what's your take on this you know, one of the things that I found quite interesting uh, working with Peter's team <clears throat> is that, you know, what he said earlier about that small, <clears throat> pardon me, small chamber test. So you're you're testing nine liters of fluid versus thousands and thousands of liters of fluid that might have gas pockets in it, might have that compress and all sorts of variables that, you know, and it's being reported on on someone's word and someone witnessing the test and then just documenting it, right? So when you take uh, a same pressure on a nine liter chamber of fluid, um, you can find an extremely minute leak. And uh, and that integrity of that pressure test is unquestionable and it's documented. So, the you know, if I'm a producer, I want to know the job I'm doing is being done right. And uh, and they it's kind of like um, a fallback insurance policy for them that they've got records to say, listen, this plug was most definitely set, pressure tested. It's perfect. Yeah, that's become an issue, hasn't it? I mean, the, the uh, there are all sorts of reports, and I'm not sure uh, getting information out of the uh, out of the AER is not a, an easy task. So I'm not, I can't say that I've seen the data on it, but I'm hearing reports, you know, of leaky wells. You know, they they get a, they're abandoned and then they leak down the road, and you know that might cause problems for groundwater uh, and maybe even drinking water. It, it could be, uh, you know. Uh, methane that's leaking cause problems. So it, it, what's your take on the, uh, within the industry, the prevalence of leaky wells down the road after they've, they've been abandoned? Well, I can't say, uh, you know, I don't have any data to give you any factual information, but you know, any system isn't perfect and there's always the opportunity for something to develop a leak or, or something afterwards. And, you know, Verseline's done thousands and thousands and thousands of bridge plugs and, and cement and, and well abandonments. And we've done the pressure tests and, and we very rarely see a bridge plug fail, you know, on the type of pressure testing that, that we're doing with packers and or from surface or, and, uh, you know, again, working with, uh, with Peter's equipment and uh, from Waycorp, you know, we have seen plugs fail and, and uh, people don't believe it, but the, it seems like the leaks that are there are so minute that they're very difficult to find with that large chamber. Right. But now with using the, the, the K-Watt tool, you can find those, those leaks. And how important to you as the, as the, the wireline company that has to come in and actually do this work, 
how important is it for you to be able to have that kind of data that Peter's e equipment provides? Well, you know, we're a service company. So, so uh, you know, we, we do our job to the best of our ability and according to the client's uh, uh, needs and and you know, for I think it's more important for the person that owns the well and the person that's signing off that that well is properly decommissioned. You know, it's they're the ones that that uh, are exposed to the risk involved in that process. Now, uh, there have been some estimates, including uh, estimates from uh, the AER on the cost of abandoning a well, or you know, there are different types of wells, so they have a, a whole. I think there are like forty-eight scenarios that they they've developed. And they range some, you know, depending on the cost of the reclamation activities of this contaminated well on, a, on an oil well, they can range, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe a million bucks. Who knows? It, the, but in this particular case, we're talking about the well being abandoned, plugged and abandoned, right? Yeah. And how important okay. is it to reduce this? process from three days to one day what kind of an impact does that have on the cost of abandoning a well maybe alden if if you can address that well you know peter's done a lot more work uh in direct analysis to that exact question so okay. he's probably the best one to answer gotcha peter if you could answer that please yeah i do model it um so i usually show them on like total cost and we're anywhere from like 23 to 40% sometimes uh, based on that modeling. And and we don't have all of their costs that, that are in there. Oh, sure. um, and I believe it's much higher, but I mean, a lot of times they don't want to disclose how much they actually spend because they are trying to um, get the best price for the work going out there too. <laughs> sure. But, uh, you know, I remember, I, I remember the, uh, when I was in the industry, the, it was a kind of taken as a given that the, if you could avoid putting a, uh, a rig on a well, that was a big money saver. And so yeah. it seems like if you can reduce the number of days a rig is on a well, that's got to bring down the price. Yeah, and, and some of these are. They're just sitting there with a suspension plug, and you would normally put a rig on that hole and move in all that tubing, rent a wellhead, um, flowback equipment, testing equipment. Um, now we can go out there if it's a really um, nasty one. We'll still need test equipment, but we're just out there with a wireline unit and a pressure truck um, versus a rig spread. And yeah, going from multi-days to just single days to, to do that. Again, for the folks who, you know, a wireline a truck is a much less comp complex and less costly approach than bringing a full workover rig uh, to to pull the tubing out and, and do all the other other kind of work that wouldn't, that Peter and, and Aldine have talked about. And, and so where we're all getting with all of this, gentlemen, just to go back to the, the big picture, is that if this problem of, uh, the huge number of uh, partially abandoned wells or not reclaimed, not reclaimed wells and wells in that have been suspended need to be reclaimed. Anything that can be done to lower the cost gets stuff done quicker. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah. Oh, maybe, oh sorry, Peter, if you want to take that. Okay, sorry. Um, area specific too. A lot of these areas are 
you can only get in there for 90 days. Um, do you want to spend five days on a well or do you want to spend two? And how many of those wells can you get off your books? Um, if you're saving 25%, then that adds up to be a lot of more wells um, that you can do with the, that budget. Right. And, and we should talk about a little bit about area-based uh, reclamation because this is something that's come in the industry. I think I, the first time I, I ran across it in an interview was four or five years ago. But where instead of going in and doing a well here and a well there, you go into an area and you do a number of wells. I mean, you save rig time and travel time and all sorts of other. It becomes a more efficient process. Is that, Peter, is that a fair way to de describe it? Yeah, and those are great campaigns because you can get three or four oil companies and they're sharing the equipment too. So they're lowering emissions that way by um, not having equipment moving all over the place. Right. Well, gentlemen, this has been a new experience for me. We generally on this podcast don't have technical folks like yourself who are, you know, at we don't drill down, if you'll pardon the pun, into <laughs> these kind of technical. But I, I wanted to talk to you because I wanted to give my listeners a flavor of what it's like for the folks who are on the pointy end of this stick. And to give them some insight into some of the innovation that takes place in the Alberta oil patch that, that can be deployed to fix these, the, this big problem we've got a little quicker, a little better, a little at a little lower cost. And that there is some hope that this issue will get resolved. It won't get resolved tomorrow, but it can re get, get resolved quicker with the kind of innovation that, that, uh, that you guys bring to the, to the table. And there are other companies out there working on other, you know, innovations and technologies, but maybe I'll, we'll close off the interview with, with, with getting each one of you to address kind of that general take on reclamation uh, within the industry that I just mentioned. So Peter, I'll give you the floor first. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm also a member of the uh, well integrity and abandonment society. And we get together monthly and we collaborate with the operators, uh, service providers, and with the Alberta Energy Regulator. Um, these groups are important because uh, these engineers and, and uh, people that are working in them are focused on to fix this problem and to get it out of the way and, and do it the best way. Gotcha. In, uh, information and data sharing and all of that just makes everything uh, work that much better. Aldine, what's your take on it? Well, I, you know, this is a cost to producers and oil and gas companies where there's only so much money that to go around and the more they can do with that money, you know, if you, if you got a $5 million budget, if you can do twice the amount of wells with the same budget, then that's a win-win for everybody. And, uh, you know, the other real advantage here is there's, there's fewer scope one emissions. Um, you know, if you don't have a rig out there for three days and you got a wireline truck there for one day, you know, there's less idling, less exposure um, with the rig number of people on site. And there's just a lot more benefits than uh, than meets the eye. Well, I'll, I'll close this interview off by saying that uh, going back to something we said uh, earlier in the interview, which is that the AER has brought in mandatory spend. So if next year it's going to be seven hundred thousand dollars. So sorry, seven hundred million dollars, and through the use of innovative technology like you folks are are developing and deploying, 
uh, we the, you know, the, the industry can do a quarter more, 25% more wells for the same amount of money or 50% more wells, then that, I think that's a really good thing. Like we're getting closer to solving a problem that the one thing we don't want, I don't think anybody wants, uh, is that these wells eventually become the taxpayer's obligation. And uh, Aldi? Yeah, you know, one more thing I'd like to say is that, the, you know, this industry is pretty remarkable. Like uh, the KWAT tool and Wagecorp have done, brought something amazing to the table. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of innovations within this space. There's a lot of people working together to to try and solve this problem. And, you know, it's a huge part of our business is specific to wireline decommissioning and abandonments and doing it as efficient as possible. So I think there's a lot moving in a good direction. You know, I, I've mentioned a couple of times here that I was in the, the industry from uh, 2003 to 2008. And I started out working for a company called Endurance Technologies out of Calgary. And they they have this uh, hardening process for downhole tubing. Uh, it takes a joint of tubing. At that time, it was went from $100 to $1,000. So it was, it was uh, producers used it sparingly, but it was a, it was a good product. But in the course of, of my work, I kept running across these Alberta um, entrepreneurs and innovators who were, you know, they might've been working on remote sensing. They might've been working on different uh, pump designs and so on. And it gave me an insight into just how innovative the Alberta oil patch is. There's lots of that kind of innovation going on, but it's so technical and it's so, you know, most people don't would never know about, it. you know, if you go into Red Deer, there's all these little companies around that, you know, be, but be in their office behind closed doors, they're busy developing these new kinds of technology. If you go to the Foothill, Foothills Industrial Park in Calgary, same kind of thing. Lots and lots of companies that are that are they're innovating and the, the, uh, uh, the industry doesn't get enough uh, credit for that. And we want to talk about it here because, you know, it's not enough to talk about the problem. You got to talk about the solutions and you guys are bringing a solution to the table. And so we're happy to uh, happy to do uh, our small part in educating uh, the audience about that. So Alden and uh, Aldine and Peter, thank you very much for this. Thank, thank you. you.